Hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of your favorite podcast, <laughs> Dark. Oh, and she's laughing already. That's so refreshing. Hello, Shakira. How are you? Hi, Michael. How are you, my darling? I am great. So this is my friend, Shakira Williams-Bohr, and she is a yoga teacher down in Jamaica. Hi, guys. We met, oh, I don't know how many years ago at this point. Six. Six? Yeah, six. It was 2014 trip. Yeah. My. So, yeah, six years ago, we met in Mysore in South India and had a lovely time. And since that point, I have had the honor to work with her in New York City because I helped bring her here uh, to teach with a studio that I used to have an affiliation with, which was just a lovely time. Yeah. And now, uh, in the midst of coronavirus quarantine, we are uh, Zooming together for your listening pleasure. So, um, let's, let's cut to the chase, my dear. Um, how is uh, quarantine and coronavirus going for you down on the island nation? All right. So, I was, so it, I, I was in New, I think I was in New York from... March the 6th to March the 10th. And then we, when we got off the plane on the 10th, I think by the 11th or the 12th, which would have, or the 13th would have been that Friday, they had begun to tell us that they were going to close down the airport. Um, and that we were now, the week after that, my husband was told that he would be working from home. And by that Friday, I would have taught so I would normally teach a, a, a full uh, flow class because I don't just teach Ashtanga um, on a Tuesday evening. And I got home that Tuesday morning so that I could teach that class that evening. And that class normally has anywhere between 15 and 20 people. And that night there were six people. And I was like, wow, it's like people have begun to see that this is, this is really, really happening. And after that, that studio closed. And after that, a whole bunch of clients, because I, I um, mostly teach clients, students. I mostly teach privates. And so what, either I would go to them or we would meet at a, a, con, a mutually con, con, um, conducive space. And all those spaces were closing and people were just like, look, um, I'm not comfortable with the idea of people in my home and I was like I completely understand and the government was like very quickly like okay every you know be able to start to manage yourselves please and then you can't ask people in general I, I think in general asking people to manage themselves and without a whole bunch of information and with a lot of fear and in the absence of information misinformation misinformation will definitely proliferate and what was what people were doing was just not paying attention to the rules and so the government was like all right here's where we are curfew so right we went into curfew i wanted to say about two weeks after and so most people you were only leaving your home then to go to the supermarket or to go to if you were an essential worker my husband works in um uh communication, telecommunications. So he was an essential worker by that, just by that being in that industry. But he didn't leave the home. Um, he didn't have to, so he just chose not to. He said, I'm not gonna leave, fine. So I was the one going out, buying the suit, um, buying food. And then very quickly, everybody was like social distance. It's one meter, and then it became two meters. And then it was lining up outside the supermarket to get in, and you had to wear gloves. Sorry, not gloves, uh, masks. And some people were wearing gloves and people got into it really quickly. And then, so we generally went into an eight, eight to five curfew quite quickly. By April, we were fully into curfew. Um, and that's tricky because Jamaica is, you, you spoke earlier before we started um, about uh, us being a tourism nation. Yes but a big, huge part of the Jamaican economy and our culture is parties. Mm -hmm. And we have parties that are aligned up with like, uh, because what will happen is that because the diaspora is so big outside of the country, you have a whole bunch of Jamaicans who will fly home just for Easter weekend mm -hmm. or fly home just for Independence weekend, which happens July to August or which will happen, will slide out just for Christmas. And there'll be a whole bunch of parties that will 
be based on that. So now all of those parties were canceled and a whole bunch of people making money off of like it, it, it was everyone from the party promoter to the little man that would sell snacks and beer on the outside of the, of the venue if it, was, if it wasn't an all-inclusive event. All, all inclusive events were closed, all bars, all restaurants. And, and that socializing is such an integral part of Jamaican culture that you automatically felt the difference. That the minute that that went, the minute that there was no partying in the nightlife, it used to, I didn't notice it until one night. I, it was eight o'clock. I think we were in, the, the curfew was 7 p.m. at that time. It's been since then loosened. Now it's at 10 p.m. But it was at seven at that time because they were really cracking down. And there was a couple of places where the virus was flaring. And so they had 24-hour lockdown on certain areas. And because of that, like, you, I was, I'm accustomed to on a Friday or on a Saturday hearing, seeing where people will put together speaker boxes, big speaker boxes, and then they will start a dance. Somebody will just feel like starting some music and then people in the community in the area will come together and have a dance or just listen to music. And that wasn't happening. And there was such a silence that it was so weird. It was so uncomfortable. It was just not like, this is weird. It was so odd. It was like, I can't describe it. It, 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 it's, you know how we used to, remember how when we were in Mysore, how it used to be noisy, like at eight, nine, ten o'clock at night, just before Indians went down for the oh, day. Yes. Yeah. From the, yeah. from sunset until 8.30. Exactly. <laughs> that kind of peak noise that you, it was like a hum and it's kind of like a hum that kind of undercut the city. I can't speak for other parts of Jamaica because outside of Kingston, it's relatively quiet, I would say. Outside of Kingston and Montego Bay, the two cities, you know, rural Jamaica, even like parts of that are a bit more municipal than others are, tend to be on the quiet side. But certainly in Kingston, it just, Kingston just grown to a halt and it was weird. <laughs> it <laughs> so has weird. been weird. Let me but tell yeah. you. Yeah. It's been um, weird in New York too, because we have that that hum as well. It's, it's different than the Jamaican hum, but we definitely right. have our hum. And, and now I, you know, I'm noticing more and more the, the car honking and things like this because it's, it's more odd than it used right. to be. It used to just wash over me like... Exactly. Oh. But then you had this period of silence and now you're hearing the noise coming back in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's, um, a, it's a bit like meditation, right? You have this, have this period usually very small, of silence. And then all of a sudden the noise comes back in. Comes back in, yeah. It's something that I will tell um, students if you're coming up out of final relaxation, kind of to, if I'm guiding them into a, a, a relax, doing a guided relaxation or something, I'll say, you know, as you begin to come back in, first noticing the noise, the sounds around you, the sound of your breath, the sound of a cricket in the background or a car off in the distance. And then you can gradually bring back things in. I, I, I'm, I'm starting to feel that here in Jamaica. Jamaica, well, I saw an article in, the, in, the, in our newspaper yesterday saying Jamaica is open for business because now the airports are open and people are able to come in once they self-isolate or they stay in, um, in relative isolation, which essentially is what a lot of the all-inclusive hotels are like on the north coast and the west coast of the island. Mm. Yeah. So you can okay. just fly from wherever you are and boom, right into your all-inclusive. Exactly. What you would be doing, yeah. You would basically, from what I understand, and I spoke to my, I, I had a, a session with my cousin this morning. I took her to the half primary. And um, she told, she had actually flown in yesterday. She's here for two weeks. It's, it's, it's amazing. She's the person I had gone to New York for. It was her dirty 30 birthday party. So we had a line. <laughs> <laughs> and she was just like, I think she had, she, being Jamaican and living in the States, I think it's interesting right now. And she's doing her, 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 her doctoral um, research and, and doctoral program now, but she decided to come home for two weeks. And she's just like, I'm home for two weeks, which is essentially how long I'm supposed to isolate, but I'd rather be home than there. Mm. And like I completely got that. Um, and, and it's, I don't know, we've gone, I think I've taken us off on a tangent, but. Um, oh, that's fine. I love a tangent. Cool. Um, <laughs> but it was just interesting to hear her, you know, 
to hear her perspective on just needing that, um, having that appreciation for being at a different level of quiet, I guess, and, and the feeling of what home feels like. Yeah, I think we're yeah. all, um, we've all gone through a process now of reflecting on what home really feels like right. and whether we are in a place where we feel like we are home or whether that is somewhere else and mm -hmm. and what we want to do about it you know right. do we want to change it or, or not um, right i certainly you, personally i certainly have i was gonna say are you i know you're from maine mm -hmm. Everybody you feel, are you are you <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like a mainer still or do you feel like a new yorker now how I mean, I've been, I've been in New York for more than 15 years, so yeah. really, you know, New York is my home at this point, but it's, uh, I mean, New York City is a weird place. It's so unsettled in a way yeah. that, um, I don't know, unless you're kind of born bred here, if you ever truly feel home like you, here, I you know, you. I, I feel that there's a little... There's a rub there. There's a little friction there between me and the beast, as I call New York City. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, you know, I love it. I enjoy it. Obviously, I've been here for yes, for so 15 years, and I have no plans to go anywhere. Right. But, uh, but I do have a trip to Maine scheduled next month, and I am very much looking forward to. I can it. imagine. I didn't think your mother wants to see you. Oh yeah. Well, one hopes, you know. <laughs> she, you know, she has a new grandchild, and she's really pissed off that she hasn't seen her grandchild in three months. That's oh great. yeah, but you know, I mean, there's a reason. She and all the much more for loving is boy or girl. 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 When she sees her little granddaughter for the first time, and she can hug her up and, and smell her, she'll have a. She'll, all of that will be forgotten. She'll be fine. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> Well, let, let me let me bring you back since we just uh, we just took a, a tour de force to coronavirus. <laughs> Lovely. Um, let me bring you back to what you said kind of towards the beginning, which was about your yoga teaching. Um, you are a professional yoga teacher, just like right. I am a professional yoga teacher. Yes. And so you and I have a, uh, a sympathy for each other because we know how hard life can be. Um, <laughs> So, so tell me about your, you know, what your schedule normally is and what is it, Ashtanga wow. versus other yoga? How, how do you make by in Jamaica and what's the, what's the community practicing like in Jamaica as well? Okay, so I would say um, what my schedule looked like in March up until when I left, up, up the beginning, first quarter of this year, my schedule was like I would teach two very early morning practices. I taught guided half primary Mondays and Fridays. Mm -hmm. um, I taught um, Ashtanga to, I had two private clients who wanted Ashtanga and then I had somebody, then I had like maybe about 12 others. I would teach 15 classes a week and most of those classes would be something that, I, honestly, I mean, maybe about half Ashtanga, half of what I call form-focused flow. So I created this thing, because you say the word Ashtanga in Jamaica, and you all, people automatically think it's going to be hard. And I'm just like, why? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and it's, it's, you know, not, Ashtanga isn't just Ekapada Shishasana or Karandavasana, you know? And there is this feeling that it's hard. And I'm like, okay, yes, it's challenging and it's a new language that you're learning for your body, sure. But don't be scared, don't be put off. So what I just did was like, I went form, I, I went, let's look at the Tristana method. It's prana, it's drishti, it's asana. So I said, oh, asana is form, drishti is focus, and prana is flow, look at that. So I just put together, the, yeah, I just, and, and I find people are less put off, at least here, because again, I will have to speak about the religious underpinnings of Jamaica, because that's something that you can't separate from how Jamaicans identify themselves. Um, and so it was easier to kind of present form-focused flow, and then and I, would, I could teach half primary, and nobody would bat an eye, or I could <laughs> teach... I'd be like, okay, we're going to work on 
you know, I would teach them the, the, how to successfully forward fold for your own home practice. And I would take them through everything from Paschimottanasana to, to Bhujapitasana. And people, no one would say a word. So, but the minute I'd say Ashtanga, people were like, not taking that. And then on top of that, um, I, I could understand the challenge that people would have early in the mornings. One of the reasons I developed so many private classes was because this ability, you know how we, uh, certainly how Sharat is able to teach in Mysore and a lot of, maybe a lot of people who can maintain very large um, uh, sanghas are able to kind of, okay, from six to 10, like when I came and taught in New York, you know, at, at Lara's Shala, it was from six to, six to 10 or six to 11. It was six, six to, to 10. 11. Six to 11, right. Yeah, five and hours. Like, yeah, five hours that people <laughs> could come in. And I was just stunned because we have such a nine to five culture in Jamaica. Every, most people are, I work for a business or I work at that, which kind of has been spun on its head during coronavirus. But just to speak about the way that things traditionally were, it's definitely this. Everyone gets up at around five, six. You got, you, you got to get your kids ready and off to school. School starts at around 7.30. You have to be on the road from 6.30 to beat traffic because the, the traffic in this city is ridiculous. And you are <laughs> often going, <laughs> you know, and you're often go, traveling. What does it feel like? A couple, you know, not that many, maybe about 15 to 20 miles. And then in some instances, a lot less, but because the traffic was so congested, it took forever. And so like people will be like, okay, I have to leave my house at seven o'clock to get to my office at eight. So there's no way I can take a five, you know, a six o'clock Ashtanga class, much less take a Mysore practice. And so when I, when I first started teaching that, only the people who could work for themselves or um, the people who didn't have to work were able to come to those classes. And then I found that, that was, it was tough to keep people coming and, and, and excited about that. And so very, I was so disappointed and it was so sad that I had to kind of let Mysore go and be like, okay, maybe someday soon I can teach Mysore again and, and keep guided classes or keep privates. And so that's how I've been able to make a living for being able to, I think I became a, a teacher and committed to the practice and the full-time teaching at the right time that I could, one, sin, um, devote a lot of energy into developing a method or a way of presenting the method. Um, and two, because I was good at what I did, I was able to develop a name for myself. So here I have a name and that means I have a bit of a following which I'm grateful for, um, and I don't take for granted. Um, and so that's what's been able to kind of, as I'm beginning to navigate coming back in to live classes, I have a couple of Zoom classes now that I teach every week, and now I've gotten back to teaching some human classes again. Um, <laughs> it's a weird live class. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> a, a real life body in front a of human you. being. Hey. Um, <laughs> Um, that's been, that's been coming back on stream slowly, but surely, um, it's, it's been, it's been interesting. What, to answer your question about what the community practices, what's nice about what's happening, what happened, what was happening in Jamaica in terms of yoga is that you could practice everything from, there was Ashtanga, there was people teaching and practicing Iyengar, there were people learning, um, oh my goodness, I, I'm going to lose it in all of my head. I, um, Bikram was a thing um, and is. There actually is a Bikram studio here, a licensed or affiliate Bikram studio, um, no matter what the drama is. And I don't think people are as connected to the drama or around Bikram as I think they would be in the States. I think they feel that's the isolation that you were talking about, that kind of, well, it doesn't really impact me. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, um goodness gracious kinetic yoga because and that was a big thing kinetic yoga got has come become really popular i'd say in the last six or so years as people were trying to i think rebel or resist this kind of eurocentric commodified version of what they of what western yoga 
was becoming to look like yeah. that they were seeing, they were like, I want to reclaim my, my sense of blackness and my sense of Africanness and my connection to, to the motherland. And there was this method now that was reaching out to them and it was beyond the asanas. And you can see that for them, it's very significant. I have a, a couple of friends who teach it and practice it. Um, so in Jamaica now, it's a good time to be like, I'm curious about yoga. Where can I go? There's a lot of teachers now and there's a lot. And, and that's different from what it was like 20 years ago. 23 years ago is when I, no, no, 22, 21. Yeah. That's the, the first time I stepped into yoga class was 21 years ago. And it was kind of like this stretching class that happened in a gym. Now there are devoted yoga spaces that are gay, that have followings. Now there are teachers and there is a teacher that teaches teachers. Um, and I've taught, um, I've, I've presented, like she's had like a, let me have people present um, what Ashtanga is. And I'm going to bring Shakira in to, to do a workshop for the whole day with these students. so They can have an understanding of a different modality of asana practice and, and, and philosophy practice and that kind of thing. Um, those things are happening. So people have a lot of options and, and I think they're appreciating that they have those options. Yeah. Good. Very yeah. good. Um, I, so a couple of things that you said uh, highlighted in my mind um, and uh, the, I'll go with the second one first. Sure. Um, when you were talking about comedic uh, yoga, mm -hmm. and, um, which is a which is a tradition that comes out of some research into Egypt. Yes, yep. am I correct? Yes, um, the idea that the a lot of the postures of, of a lot of the the hieroglyphics that you saw represented these yoga postures. Yeah. yeah. And so, and this connection back to, to blackness and back to African or, or motherland. Yeah. Um, one, one year when I was in Mysore, um, I, don't, I don't know if you ever studied with Jayashree at all. No, um, I do chanting with her. I, if I ever go back, I would definitely like to try this time. You should, you should. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I was, I was there with her, you know, chanting as we as we did as we do spending time <laughs> and uh, and someone asks something about you know the the, the westernization of of yoga yeah. and kind of the commodification of yoga sure. and and jayashree said the most interesting thing it was something to the effect of oh it's fine because we've stopped practicing very much yoga in india and so we've outsourced it to Europe and America, and then eventually you will outsource it back to us. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, that is hilarious. And it's funny that you should say that because just this morning, a friend of mine, uh, a, a, a fellow Ashtangi from Australia, Michelle sent me this clip, this, um, that it's on Eddie Stern's account. And Eddie Stern sat with the lady who is the, direct, the director general of the Hindu American Association. Mm. And she mentioned the same thing. She was like, people are teaching vinyasa flow classes in India now. And so, and white teachers are going to India to teach Indian. And I find it so, like, so, whoa. Um, but it's interesting, you're right. It's, it's this sense, I like that Jayashree has this very, um, kind of cool outlook on it. She's like, well, we'll outsource it just like <laughs> yeah. you've outsourced us and we're going to bring it back, um, you know, in this kind of way. It's, I think, I think that's cool. I have no issue with who teaches yoga, obviously, because I'm not Desi, right? Neither are you. Um, and though we may have an appreciation of what that means, we will never know what it is to feel what they feel on the inside, what that identity feels like on the inside. How important that is to be able to effectively communicate yoga? Not that much. As long as we stay, we find the, the understand the boundary, I guess, between um, appreciating it and appropriating it, right? And that's always the question of kind of trying to find that balance between, you don't get to sanitize the bits of it that are inconvenient to you, and then chew that up, masticate it, and then spit it back out in a different way because it's attractive to this audience over here. 
You know, that, that doesn't make sense. And certainly it's in, I think it's the doing of that that has led to the, what I call the love and light generation of, of, of practitioners. There is nothing that irritates me as much as hearing someone go, love, well, I don't want to, well, we should only have good vibes in a yoga class and you should not talk about that. And love and light, namaste. That's not. Oh, <laughs> I, I miss you so much. I, I miss our conversation. I'm coming, I'm coming to, as soon as it's safe to come up consistently to visit. I'm, I'm making, we love New York so much that I'm coming back and I'm making, we, we've got to get together and practice and chit chat. Please. Um, oh my Lord, please. It's so refreshing to hear you speak again. It really is. <laughs> I, no, I, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, 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 no. Please go ahead. Okay, I tend to ramble. I love this idea of um, chewing out, chewing something and, and then kind of spitting, spitting it, it out. out. Yeah. And, and, and this concept of there, there is stuff involved that you're not going to want to deal with. Right. Um, and you're going to have to deal with it because it's part of it. Absolutely. It's, it, it's just eat, like eating a stone fruit or, um, you know, you, the pit is going to be there. Yeah, you know, it's part of, of the, the whole thing. Music it's like you and I. What what's a pose you hate or hated? I can tell <laughs> you mine. You know mine right away. Kapitasana, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> and, but, but the point of the it, it's not how the kapitasana looks at the end of the day. In as much as I hate working on it, I'm terrified every time I have to bend back. And every time I feel my arm begin to stretch open, and every time I feel the stretch in my abs, particularly since I recently, not recently, I had surgery around two and a half years ago on my tummy, and I feel that weird sensation. Even though I've been to India since then, it just feels weird. I do the pose. It doesn't always look like the Kapotasana where everyone looks like this, but I feel I have to confront the stuff that comes up. I have to confront the fact that I am pissed that I have to learn this pose all over again. And I have to confront the fact that I don't naturally take to back bends. That I can put my foot behind my head for days and enjoy that and, and love that, but that I just don't like it, but that it still holds value. Yeah. And because of that, it takes, it allows me to get off the map and take pers and do perspective taking it allows me to listen to people who don't have the same views i have it allows me to 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 listen to to, to not center myself in a conversation that isn't about me mm -hmm. you understand so like if i listen to conversations where i'm listening to african-american or black american or african immigrants in europe or Australia, or the United States, that I cannot, cannot center myself in those conversations. I am a Jamaican, a black Jamaican, living here in a country where everybody, not everybody, 90% of the people look like me. It, you'll never, you never, you take it for granted until you step out of it and you realize. And I'm not saying that it should always be like that, that you should always be with people who look like you. And this person should be that stupid because I believe in, <laughs> I believe in diversity. No, I would be shooting myself in the foot. And I'm married to a white man. So, you know, be <laughs> <I, laughs> hypocritical, right? But the point is that there is a feeling that I have. There is a, I don't know what it's, and I hope if you edit it out, I completely understand if you do, but I don't know what it's like to be a minority. Mm. And, and because of that, when a person who's a minority is having a conversation and they're sent and they're talking about that experience, I don't get to center myself in that space. I don't, I get to shut my mouth. I get to shut the fuck up and listen. That's the privilege I can take from it and listen and really listen and, and perspective take listen and understand where they're coming from and and then that's the only way that we can begin to have the conversations about what we need to shift so that everyone you know, as many people as possible can begin to feel included yes most definitely you know what's, what's the point of doing all the yoga asanas exactly what is the point of doing all the yoga asanas you know yeah. i'm in a, an interesting 
position, I think, anyway, because obviously I'm a white man. And so, right. you know, that gets me where it gets me. It gets me many, many sure. places. For sure. Um, you know, I'm also a gay man. And yeah. I'm a very out, open. proud gay man. Yeah. <laughs> and, so I, and so I do have a feeling of being a minority. And I have definitely been targeted throughout my life. Oh, sure. and all of this stuff. But I don't have the feeling of being another type of minority. You know, I do not understand how that feels. And so I think I have to do my job of just, as you said, shutting the fuck up and listening to people and trying to take this information and digest it. And as you said, with the yoga, there are going to be parts that I'm going to want to spit back out. And, and, and you can't, you have to take that in. You have to take the entire item in to really start to understand it and, 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 you know, just wrap your mind around these things. Yeah. And, and I, that's hard. I, it's so hard. It's harder oh, than Kapitasana, honestly. It is. Why did I grow up? Like, I th they said adulthood would be cool. Why? But it is taking responsibility for the, for not just your intention, but the impact of what you do. Right? It's not just, well, I intend, I meant it this way, but so I'm sorry that you took it that way. That's not the conversation. It's, I need to listen to why my words hurt you or why my actions hurt you. And I need to understand what I can do to not repeat that. Um, it, it makes no sense to learn second and third series and, and do deep asana and, and not, and not begin to see how that experience on the mat becomes a crucible. You burn, you literally are burning every samsara you have, every pattern you have in your physical body is being burnt in the crucible that you experience in the practice on the mat. Through this, and you're stoking that with every breath. And then you step outside and then that's gone. How? How? Right. It, it oh. makes no sense to me. <laughs> I don't. I, I just can't see that kind of cutting off. But then again, I think it comes back to something. Something that you have. You said something earlier about yoga as an experience, and and also what I had remembered listening from that lady's podcast. How she said that how yoga works, particularly as uh, as something that's connected inextricably with Hinduism, is that. Because it's, it's, there's, there's no need for this or that. Everything is you're experiencing it all as one. And if you see divinity as one, then you're beginning to see wisdom in everything. And you're beginning to see difficulty in everything. And you see trust, strife in everything. And she talked about how, I think for us in the West, because we have this, she said, Abraham, Abrahamic, and I, I think she just meant when you're dealing with, you know, Islam and Christianity and Judaism, you're dealing with, this is the way, right? This is the one way, you know, if you remember, if you know, if you know a little bit of your gospels, you know, a lot of people in Jamaica will definitely happily spit out. Um, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So there is this feeling that unless you are, following in this particular way, all other things are other. And that which is other, it's very easy to other something. And then because I am on the right way, then I automatically center myself in that, in that space. And everything is based on how I perceive it. And then once we're in that space, then we are cut off. And what we get is, the ability to sympathize with other people, but not the ability to create real empathy. I, I remember, I'm going to say one more thing, but I know I, I tend to ramble and I go all over the place, but I remember shortly after my husband and I started to date, um, all those years ago, <laughs> um, he introduced me to the work of Brene Brown. Do you know Brene Brown? I do not know. Okay, so she is this um, clinical. She did, I think, um, clinical social work to the doctoral level, 
Um, she's based in, she's Texan. I think she's from Houston. And Brene started to, to mention, she talked about how we talk about guilt and how we talk about shame, right? Which are so intertwined with how we see ourselves, right? And then she's talked about the difference between sympathy and empathy. And she talked about how sympathy is like, you tell me something. So Michael, you share with me something that breaks your heart. And I say, well, at least you have, you know, a job. So what's happened there is that I've, I've not listened to what you said. I've centered my own experience and said, well, based on my value system, at least there, you don't have anything much to complain about over there because these other things are in a row. Whereas empathy is genuinely perspective taking, feeling alongside as much as you can now I'm, I'm heterosexual. I'm never gonna know what it's like to be a gay person. I don't know what it's like, I'm cishet. So I don't know what it's like to be a trans woman or a trans man. I don't know what it's like to be non-binary. I don't know what it's like to be bi or pan. I don't know what those things feel like or inside my tissues. But I can perspective take when someone is telling me this is what it feels like to deal with LGBTQIA plus issues in Jamaica because this country isn't friendly to the people. It's beginning to, to shift very slowly, but it's glacial. It's very slow. And, and so, but I, I, I can't center myself in that space because I don't know what it is. The minute that you begin to take yourself out of the center of someone else's issue and you can take a step back and say, I really just want to hear what you have to say. And I'm grateful that you could share that with me. Now we've, we've come to a place of empathy. And, and what's happening is a place of connection. Yes. Instead of trying to put a divide between you exactly. and the other. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy is what drives connection. In fact, what I'm going to do when we're done, remind, I'm going to send you a little link. It's a, it's a three minute video that she describes it so succinctly with a little cartoon. And I, I remember sending it to a friend of mine who I, whenever we've had conversations, a brethren of mine, and I would be like, this would be, this is how it feels whenever I try to tell you a problem and you go, well, at least you this and blah, blah, blah. And he instantly saw himself as being quite sympathetic, but not having the ability to create actual empathetic connection. Now, what he does with that is up to him. I can only say, hey, this is what I saw. I thought of you. I share it and move on. And if I bring it back to how I teach, that's how I can present it. If I'm presenting the asanas, then I'm not presenting them in a in a in a in a in this kind of neat box. I'm going to say this is a difficult asana, and maybe you're going to come come up with you're going to have ex, uh, feelings of anger, or maybe you're going to feel distressed out, or maybe you're going to be fearful. But there's a lesson in that emotion, and the recognizing that emotion and not feeding the monkey mind. You, I, I don't know if you ever have heard Tim Miller talk about the, the, the looking bird and the, talk, the eating bird. And the eating bird always wants to gain and eat and, and dissect and, and digest. And the looking bird, I guess, which is kind of like when the Atman, in the Sutra number three, then the seer abides in his own true nature. When you are able to sit back and kind of watch and, and see that outside of your name and your skin color and your this that there is a soul if you want to call it that or there is a consciousness that everyone has and that everyone can meet each other with and form the connections you just spoke about <laughs> you know the sutra number three is one of my favorites um, and it's uh it's one of my favorites because it begins with the word tada um ah! so, you know you have you have Number two, which is, you know, the famous yoga shikta, yoga shikta Roda, um, which just, you know, means basically like calm your mind down, you yeah. know, let's, yeah. let's say calm your mind down in a nutshell. So we don't yeah. see everyone. Um, and, uh, and, and then three starts with ta-da. So if you calm your mind down, then ta-da, oh, you, you can abide in your own nature. You abide in your own nature. It's just fabulous. <laughs> Basically, if you calm your mind down, tada, you will be fabulous. That yeah. is Yoga Sutra 2 and 3, translated by Mr. Michael Newell.
Very Absolutely, good. Michael, you perfect, <laughs> perfectly done. You know, and for that reason, I love, I, I actually love um, Yoga Sutra 1. Atta Yoga, Nush, oh. Yoga Nushasana, because that word Atta now, it, 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 it hits you right in the present moment. It is literally like, hey man, you can do this now. Mm-hmm. You, are, you didn't have to have been raised with it, but you experience it right now. Get into it now. Now is where the, the beginning of yoga begins. It begins when you're ready. And sometimes it, it begins when you're not ready. It begins in the present moment. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can go calm your mind and ta-da, everything will be great. And now you have to, you have to do all the study to figure out yeah, and then and then good luck. Here's the <laughs> we don't know how you we don't know how to do it for you. You have to figure it out. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> let me let me bring you way back because we just went through so much wonderful stuff. Uh, um, <laughs> so way way back, you said um, something about a way of presenting the method and you were you're talking about you know being authentic to the yoga tradition and being authentic to what these practices really are um and trying not to invent your own thing trying not to uh put things uh take things out that need to be there and not put things in that don't need to be there there. yes so how have you um what is your way of presenting the method so it, so it becomes more palatable to the community that you're working with? Okay, so depending, okay, so up to, up to maybe last year, I taught corporate classes from about 2011 to 2019. Whenever I presented yoga asana in and, and the little droplets of, of philosophy that I would, I would never, never chant. Uh, the minute you go home, the minute you go home in a corporate space, people are just gonna, people are just like, Mm-mm. because again, I, I said I would come back to the point of view about Jamaicans and religion. Jamaica is very much a Christian country. And for what that means for a lot of people, as when I spoke about this whole Abrahamic kind of way, um, is that that is the way. And I, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, for example. Someone will say that to me. Um, can I practice yoga? And I'd be like, of course you can. Um, but my pastor said, I can't do this. And I've had people drop out of classes because their pastor said, or, you know, or people say, is it devil worship because they heard somebody in their prayer group say. And often you, when you dig deep and you ask, so did that person take a yoga class? No, that person didn't. So you're not, it's not even first or second degree ignorance, I guess. It's third, often in, in instances, four degrees of ignorance. It, it, sorry to say, use the word ignorance, but I, this is what I know and I'm not, I never thought to question it because it's what I was told by an authority figure. Now, of course, we have an authority figure tradition in yoga, right? The guru tradition, we have that. And it, what, it comes with its pluses, it comes with its issues, it comes with its issues, of course. But here in Jamaica, there's such that, that powerful, you have to be so aware of that. So certainly when I first started to teach, in a corporate space, I would never chant. Um, I didn't use Sanskrit, um, and I would, so not even to count, like if I was counting out the practice, I would go one, two, step forward. I would, I would even be like, oh, if you don't mind, it was only after maybe months or years of teaching the same group over years, I would say to them, okay, I'm going to introduce maybe a word or two of Sanskrit, but I'd always present the English first. Mm-hmm. So that they got comfortable. I'm saying, I'm just counting numbers. Sapta means seven. You know, Ashtao is eight. Don't worry. You know what I mean? That kind of constant. And then meeting people where they were at, just presenting the asana consistently, consistently presenting the asana. And if students wanted to discuss something deeper, then I presented myself to be open to listen. Because I wish I had had somebody who was me back when I was 23. And I didn't have that. So I'm trying to now be like somebody people can come to and ask the questions without feeling like, 
oh, here's someone who's going to tell me, don't you know that? This is, you know, it's wisdom, you hold, <laughs> and wisdom arrives, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's been one of the things I've done. I think, yes, I changed, I changed the, the, the class I teach, Form Focus Flow. It's, it has, it's kind of a way to kind of bring in, and what I will tend to do in final relaxation, when, we're in, when I'm allowing them to kind of drift off, I have been known to read from the yoga sutras or find a sutra, study it, figure out what it means to me that day, and then share it with them. I'd be like, you know, here's 248, what does it mean? And why is there, why are there only three verses on asana practice throughout the whole of the yoga sutras? Because it's not that important. That's the point, you know, things like that. And I'm able to kind of discuss it in that way. Um, that's been relatively successful for me now. Um, when I'm teaching a workshop now, I tend to get like, if you're coming to me for Ashtanga, then we're going to go all in Ashtanga. And I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to be like, and I've gotten to the point where the students they expect have, it. They voluntarily come to that space yes. knowing full well this is what, they're what gonna you're get. advertising. You know? uh, that's what I'm, that's what they're going to get. They're going to get me telling them, um, Urba Dhanurasana backbending jump through. And I, in my head, every time I recite, because for me, it's almost like a, it's a, I don't want to say the word prayer because they're not suggest a, a, a deity relationship, which I don't have. Um, but it's, um, it's, it's this moving meditation. That's where the asana practice has become for me. And that's been so critical to my well-being and my mental health, particularly recently that, I feel so passionate about sharing that and saying, Hey man, if you stop here on the asana, like if this is, if this is the experience of yoga, asana will take you asana focused in on asana is just about this much. Right. But if you want to dig deep, and I'm just like, and that's awesome. And if what you want out of the practice is just to be able to touch the floor when you bend over, absolutely no problem. I can teach you Uttanasana, no problem. But there is so much more to the experience of the practice that if you want to, you can delve deeply. And it, for some students, I have one student whom I absolutely love. Um, and she's, she's, she's amazing in that she's like, she was so terrified. Can you imagine teaching a student that was so terrified of backbending, of dropbacks, somebody who can do kapotasana on her first try. <laughs> so terrified of dropbacks and she learned this before long before i taught her and began to teach her anything this was back in my mysore days and i was showing people the asana i was doing and even i was naughty and teaching bits of second and she was like i'm so I'm, she was so scared of falling that she taught herself to drop back and never fell Oh, wow. I've never, I never, ever, I've never experienced anything like that. She was like, I'm so, so afraid to fall. She taught herself to be strong enough to not fall. And that's her experience of it. But she told me, she, she's a devout Christian. And she's like, that experience of asana as a mother, as a wife, is something I can do by myself just for me. It was, it's something just for Deborah. Her name is Deborah. And Deborah would be like, this makes me a better Christian. And that's something that I tell other people. So I'm able to say, hey, I have students who say that this is a deeper experience for them because I don't have that religious faith base, right? That's not something for me, which already makes me a bit of a freak in Jamaica. But that's okay. You know, but for those people who maintain that, this is not a threat. This takes you deeper into that experience because it's, it's, there's no use in going to church and reading your Bible and singing all the hymns and then going back out and being unkind and being mean to people. Right. You've just gone against the whole point. And it's the same thing. It's the same thing I just said, I said earlier about doing beautiful second series and then going out and being a jerk to people. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I lecture on philosophy quite a bit. And uh, one of the, oftentimes to prospective yoga teachers, and one of the things yeah. that I try to impress upon them is that the goal is to not be an asshole. You know, right. That, that is the fun. ultimate goal, basically. Sure. <laughs> you know, you can know as much as you want, but if you don't digest it in a way that makes you a more lovely person, 
Right. We have a we have a very large problem on our hands. Exactly. It's as if we've wasted, not wasted because you learn something, but you you can it could be the the most ideal and the most awesome way that you can express that thing is through love, is through empathy, is through what can I do to help you, and 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 how can I make this about you? It's like when. You know how you feel when some, when you you have a student who's been working on a post for a long time, a long time, and they finally get it, and how excited yeah. you feel? Not because it had anything to do with you, but because they stuck to it and because they figured it out on their own. And that being a part of that with them is is like nothing on earth. That's what keeps me loving the teaching. It's it's so that I can help, man. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, that's, it's what's worked so far. <laughs> oh, that's so great. Oh, wow. Listen, listen, Kira, I want to have you on the podcast again, because I feel like we've only touched the tip of the iceberg between what we can get at. But yeah. for now, otherwise, we're going to be sitting here for another two hours. Oh, always. we're just sitting down. And, 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 you know, everybody, everyone at home is going to tune out at some point. Yes. So, um, so we'll wrap it up. Um, I've been wrapping these podcasts up with four four questions. Okay. Yes. They're relatively rapid fire. Uh, Good. The first one is very self serving. Do you yes. have anything you want to ask me? Are you happy? Ha! Come on. <laughs> you can ask a question. Like I mean, I guess you can. You just did. No, no, no. Okay. Um, <laughs> let me ask you. I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you. When was the last time? You went to that Indian restaurant you took me to for that, for, for Tali. When was the last time you had Tali? Yes. Right before quarantine began. So okay. back in March, I had Tali. And let me tell you, that place has become a little refuge for me and several of my students. We Yay! sometimes walk ourselves from the shala up uh, after practice in the morning and we'll get Tali. They also have a mini tiffin. Um, and all the servers there know me. Yeah, man, of course, they must by now. There can be a line out the door. I don't wait in line. Uh, I move the head. All and right. Things, things <laughs> are magical and things happen. It's, it's really, really lovely. Um, I love I have that. a good relationship with everybody there. Mm, that's wonderful. <laughs> Sometimes when my friends go, when my friends go, the servers will ask them where I am. Where's Michael? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Question two. Ah, question two. So, what do you think is best about how we're practicing yoga today? And feel free to take that as world at large or in Jamaica or wherever you want. I think ooh, the best thing about about yoga today is the global reach that it has. Mm. I love that you can go, I can go to Johannesburg, where my, um, to Pretoria, where my husband is from, and practice yoga. And I, I love that I can talk to somebody in Brazil, and I can talk to somebody in Antwerp, and I can talk to somebody in Vancouver and have the same kind of appreciation for what the practice can do. I think the potent, what the best thing about yoga is its potential to impact so many lives. Perfect. What do you think is most lacking about how we practice yoga today? The follow through from that potential. Oh. Because what's happened is that we've spent a lot of time kind of, um, I don't want to say it's being lazy because that's not it. We have a job to do, right? So we have, we have to commodify things in order to have to to earn money to be able to to participate in this system of you know economics buying selling you know market and supply and demand but what we have done is in in many instances we've kind of priced ourselves way past the average person's reach and it's why people in jamaica in the beginning used to say black people don't do yoga and so that's a conversation we could have the next time we chat we chit chat and why it was for a very long time a trend it was something only the 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 rich and the upper crust and the upper middle class participated in and it, it seems to be out of reach and very elitist 
and in some instances still is sometimes that way and it's it's we haven't as a global community um also we haven't fingered enough uh amplified enough eastern voices i think that that's important i think in as much as you and i have something to say and and something very valuable to give i don't think that i think there's this fear that if i if somebody who's desi who has a vibe to say, has a has value from that growing up within the culture has something to say about it and i somehow am lessened as a teacher or i lose less market share as a teacher and so there's this feeling of pushing down this and this kind of this archetype of what a yoga practitioner should and look like and a lot of people who felt excluded because of their skin color and excluded because of their economic circumstances and excluded because of their orientation and excluded because of their body size like i remember i'm fa i'm fairly lean and 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 from me in jamaican terms i'm thin but big girls curvy girls i have some of the most amazing flexible and strong students who are curvy who feel like they can't step into a studio in the states or in other places because they think that they just won't belong or what's the point or you know and i'm just like that's something that we need to work on so in in as much as we have this great potential there there needs to be this way that we rise to the to the occasion and make it as available as we can to as many bodies as we can yeah that i think for sure well then that leads me into question number 4 which is mm -hmm. where do you think this is all going what's the future of yoga in 10 20 or 30 years wow it's a good question it's a good question um i hope and only hope i hope it will be to greater accessibility to many communities i hope excuse me that yoga the principles of yoga the principles of think about when we talk about the yamas and the niyamas right and we talk about nonviolence and we talk about non-stealing but non-grasping but truth and purity and we talk about studying text and we talk about surrendering to that which is greater than ourselves if we take an application of when does uh, i remember a long time ago a teacher saying a yogi tries to leave the world or a little bit better than than he the, the space that he came into and if we were all trying to do that rather than trying to suck the energy and the resources out of that space and i don't mean from an environmental perspective although you could expand it in that way is to say what can i do to empower them, to you in this space and then take myself out of the space so that you can carry it on it's kind of like the ultimate teacher man to fish it's it's not just it's 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 teaching you beyond your need for me that's what we need to get into teaching others beyond their need for us beyond their need for feeding our egos because that's what we're supposed to be doing we're supposed to be controlling the ego and i think we've failed at that largely and that's what needs to change so the future to come back to that is because <laughs> i keep going back to question 3 um, <laughs> so sorry is to say that greater accessible levels of accessibility for all communities and empowering people through the principles of yoga as applied in their culture So I don't tell I can say to a South African a black South African who understands the concept of ubuntu which means I am because we are and I can say this oneness and unity and this yuj this yoga this is what I my understanding is how do you how do you experience that being a zulu or being a soto person what does that mean for you and then having that person move forward and and spread it from that way you're yeah. back to the connectivity i love it that's where i'm always going to stay that's the key the key is connectivity so much of what we see in the world identity again when we i think the next time we talk i would love for us to talk about identity and privilege because those things are so interwoven and when once we stick to this identity of who i am then it, the division is natural it's going to come 
a lot of that is human. A lot of that is the human mammal that we are. But a lot of that is stuff that we tell ourselves consistently so that we can keep ourselves apart from others. Yes, so true. Yeah. Well, Kira, thank you so very much. And oh, I trust great. that I am going to talk to you again very soon. Absolutely. You show me whenever I'm available. I'm happy to do this. I, I, when you first asked me, I was just like, what am I going to have to offer? But in talking, I feel like there is stuff to share. You have so much to share. And you always have, my dear. I knew Thank that from you. the day I met you. Oh, <laughs> Six I, years ago. I so love you. I really, no, and, and, and I'm so grateful for your friendship because you taught me so much about just being excellent just as you are. <laughs> this dude, I remember like how you used to step through class in your, you remember that blue kind of plaidy shirt and then you would wear the blue plaid shirt and then you'd wear that kind of sarongi thing. And I'm yeah. like, this dude, who is he? But you were just like, I'm me. I'm just, and I'm just gonna. And yeah, I love it. I love it. And I love you. I love you too, my dear. Mwah. Ta-ta. Hey, gorgeous. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye, love. <laughs>